Welcome to this special edition of St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. We're recording this show in front of the Pierre Laclede Society at the University of Missouri, St. Louis. Two years ago, St. Louis County got serious about an important problem, the size of its jail population. More than 1,200 people were behind bars at, at any given point in the county's custody. Many of them had not yet been convicted of a crime. Experts say this reflected a national trend of over-incarceration. County leaders vowed to tackle it. And they did. From the summer of 2018 to the summer of 2019, the number of people in jail in St. Louis County dropped 22%, and that lower number has held steady since then. Many people work to reduce the jail population and are working to keep it low today, and three of them are with us tonight to discuss their efforts. The first is Beth Hubner. She's a professor of criminology and criminal justice at the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Beth, thank you for joining us. Thank you. And we're also joined tonight by Julia Fogelberg. She's the Director of Diversion and Special Programs for the St. Louis County Prosecutor's Office. Julia, thank you so much for being here. And last but not least, we're joined by Dr. Sam Page. He's the St. Louis County Executive and has a role in a whole lot of this stuff. So Dr. Page, thank you for being here. Thank you, Sarah. Beth, I want to start with you. Um, your involvement in this project is thanks to the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. What got them involved with this issue and why here in St. Louis County? Absolutely. So MacArthur, and this was over five years ago actually that I became involved, so I'm a long-term member of this team. MacArthur wanted to take what they call as a big bet, and they saw um, that jail incarceration um, has many negative impacts on communities, and so they wanted to, what they call, turn the country orange by taking on jail reform. And so they made a big bet and put um, many millions of dollars into this um, initiative. So. Um, I was at work at UMSL right here, and a team from St. Louis County called me and said, we want to work on this grant. We want to make efforts. This is right after Ferguson. Um, they wanted to make efforts reducing the jail population. So there were about 200 people um, or communities across the U.S. applied for this grant, and St. Louis was one of 20. Um, one of the reasons I think we um, were awarded the grant is, is much like today, we had the best um, and, and most uh, integrated uh, county uh, group that applied for this, and we were ready to take that challenge from that day one. So there were a number of different agencies at the table even from the beginning. From the beginning, we have had all members of um, the different um, aspects of the criminal justice in the county. Um, and what is exciting to me is that over those five years, we've had lots of changes in, in personnel, but the um, our goal to reduce the jail population has been steadfast that entire time. Now, Julia, your boss, Wesley Bell, uh, he took office in January 2019. So this was already underway at that point, but I know this has been a passion of his long before these grants. So tell me a bit about the prosecutor's role in trying to implement these changes. So that absolutely correct. This was something that was a big part of Mr. Bell's campaign platform, reducing uh, incarceration levels specifically for low-level nonviolent offenders. We see both locally and nationally really high rates of people who do not pose a risk to the community because they're nonviolent and who are not flight risks being incarcerated with very high bonds. And so something that we looked at when we came in um, with the new administration is 
we want to look at really what does make the community safer and what makes the community more stable. And we find that incarcerating people who, again, are not a, a danger to the community makes your community less safe and less stable because you're taking people out of homes, out of jobs, and away from their families. And so we really want to look at making sure if somebody is incarcerated awaiting trial and they haven't been convicted of anything, that there's a real reason for that and we don't want the reason for that to be lack of access to resources or lack of access to money. So we look at working with, we were very excited to come in and have the infrastructure that Beth and all of these other people had already put in place with the MacArthur grant to really come to the table and say, we'll take it one step further on our end because nobody gets out of jail if the prosecutor doesn't agree and if that you don't have the judiciary on board too. So it, it was seems a very like if, if anyone wanted to just bring this effort to a screeching halt, the prosecutor's office could single-handedly do that. I would say that that is correct. And I think they did, they did I'm, I don't want to minimize anything they did before we came in, but I know um, I worked in St. Louis County as a public defender before I joined Mr. Bell's campaign. So I think the efforts really were able to expand once, once we joined them. And Dr. Page, um, you are the newest person to join this effort who's here with us tonight. You took office as the county executive in, in April t of 2019. But before that, you were there on the county council and, and interested in these issues. How do you see the county infrastructure as, um, as working on this as well? Well, since I took office as county executive, my, my first promise was to try and address some of our greatest challenges. And I think we all understand that if we're going to have a meaning, meaningful conversation about our greatest challenges we have to talk about criminal justice reform we certainly started working with mr bell in his office when um, when i was on the council and try to facilitate some of those efforts but i think we have to recognize that incarceration isn't just an opportunity for justice it's an opportunity to take a look at an individual who's gotten off the right path and some of the pretrial diversion programs that that we have i think are important and then when those folks don't, aren't successful in those programs, they end up in, in our criminal justice system or as an inmate in our jail, then we need to be thinking about how to get them back on track and we need to have the right programs in place. And then we've initiated a lot of those programs on our side as they reintegrate into society. So these are all the goals that the team has and everybody's passion for this issue. But I'm curious about how this all works when we get down to the nitty gritty. Beth, you're looking at this population of 1,200 people. You know you want to reduce it. How do you go about making that happen? It's a long process and it required bringing everybody to the table. So the first thing that we did is look at the data. Who are in the jail? People hadn't taken a lot of time to look at who was in the jail before. Um, so one, you know, the pretrial populations like Dr. Page um, identified were a key group. And then we also looked at people who had violated their probation. And so it was critical to look at the data. Um, and that's what we have continued um, going forward. And as, as you mentioned, and as Julia mentioned, the jail population didn't reduce until about three years into this project. This was not a short, um, a short change. We had to really keep at that and look at the data and continue to challenge ourselves. And that's where Dr. Page coming in and, and, and Wesley Bell and, and their office really made a difference because they were able to take that data and implement some new programs and be partners. So you're looking at the data. Give me an example of something that you see in there 
and then how you take that and turn it into, let's get some people out of jail. Absolutely. So I'll focus first on probation violations as an example. So we looked at that population. Again, these are people who had technical violations. They didn't show up for work or they didn't show up for their meeting, often because of um, drug abuse or stress or something like that. But they had been compliant other than that. Uh, before the intervention, they had served about 100 days in jail. Um, and MacArthur calls this, they always challenge us to look at, like, who are you mad at versus who, who are you afraid of? So people were mad that they didn't comply. Um, but these people were, lo were low risk. So we went to our partners, probation and parole, and we said, how can we move these individuals along? We need to get, back up, get them back on the street with their families, with the workforce. How do we do this? So probation and parole has been a great partner and has embedded three staff in the jail. And so they work with people to get through that process and get back to work in, in the community. Talk about that question of who are we afraid of versus who we're mad at. Julia, your office has a really complicated role here because while you care deeply about this issue, you also have to be there to represent the victims mm -hmm. and to make sure that they don't live in fear that the person who assaulted them um, could show up on their doorstep. How do you balance those two things? So that raises a really good point because when we talk about mass incarceration and how as a country we got to this place where the answer has just been to lock people up when they have behaviors we dislike and that again aren't necessarily always dangerous behaviors, um, we at the prosecutor's office look at those two populations as, as though they're distinct populations. but a little bit differently. You know, if there is somebody who, and Mr. Bell would say, as soon as you cross the line in whatever behavior you're engaging in harming another person, we're going to look at that individual differently. But the overwhelming majority, as Beth was saying, of people who are incarcerated in St. Louis County, again, have not been convicted of a crime. Um, or if they're in on a probation violation, it could be a technical violation. A lot of them, it, it happened to be technical violations, which means they hadn't necessarily committed a new crime. They hadn't threatened anybody or done anything scary. And so we look at those very differently. But what we see is nationally and with a lot of the data that has been collected here and in other jurisdictions where these types of programs are in place, you see people want to show up to their court dates. They want to be responsible and participate in the system, but the things getting in the way of them doing that are often addiction, mental health issues, even simple issues like lack of transportation. And so what this group has done through the grant, even when Mr. Bell's administration came to the table, you know, they already had the county executive participating. They already had the members of the judiciary, probation and parole, the jail. And so we're really looking at, at the point that I joined the team, we were looking at individuals in the jail. What are they charged with? Is this somebody that we think will come back to court? It's nonviolent. And then the part from our perspective in the prosecutor's office, we can look at, is this somebody who might be appropriate for a diversion program if it's the first time they've been in trouble? Or is it somebody who might need to come into our more um, heavily supervised post-plea alternative courts? But is it something where if we are able to address the underlying issue that led to the criminal behavior, is it less likely that we're going to ever see that person again? And the answer is yes. But the longer you keep somebody in jail, 
you, you, I'm sorry, the answer is no. The longer you keep somebody in jail, the likelihood of them coming back becomes greater the longer they're sitting there. You've talked about how we think about risk as it's a risk to let somebody out. You say there's actually a huge risk in keeping someone in too long just because of the disruption to their life. It seems like a fundamentally different way of, of thinking about these things. Dr. Page, is that something you find yourself thinking about? Well, I think yeah, we worry about that a lot. Um, we certainly don't want people who are dangerous out on the street, but we have to recognize that um, we're asking them to pay fines, we're asking them to make restitution, we're asking them to make better choices, but we may be asking them to lose their job if we can't get them back to work. So some of the things we look at is, is are we saddling them with fines and, and costs and fees? So we've actually um, entered in, in, entering soon into a new phone contract that will um, dramatically reduce what it costs to keep in touch with their family and their friends. We've eliminated $3.4 million of excess fees for our incarcerated um, uh, folks in the Justice Services Center. And we're looking very closely at making sure we're taking care of them and their health care needs so when they get back out, they, they do have a pathway to a job. They have medication-assisted therapy and treatment for substance abuse and access to mental health drugs. But I think looking at this, you know, along with a partnership with the MacArthur Grant as an opportunity to get someone a pathway to a job and better choices um, as a role uh, their interaction with us in the justice services and, and as an inmate, um, I think that's where we're focusing. Beth, I also wanted to ask you, I know the Bail Project, um, they actually set up an office in St. Louis in 2018. They're a national nonprofit, and part of what they do is they just put the money down so that people can get out on bail. If there's not already a team figuring out a way to get them out, they're mm -hmm. um, posting the money for them. Um, what kind of role have they played in the efforts that are underway? Sure, they've been a great partner. I actually met with them yesterday. We are one of the biggest um, focus of this grant, now that we have particularly reduced the, pop, uh, the population, is working on racial and ethnic disparities. So they've been a fantastic partner. Um, they do post people's bail, but they also have a social work component in which they pay for people's phones so we can keep in contact. Um, we do have alternatives to incarceration that can use phone so they link them up with the phones. They have, conf uh, you know, li uh, linkages with Lyft so they can get to jail um, and their court date. So, you know, um, as Julia said and as, as Dr. Page said, it's critical to reduce these barriers um, to people complying with the law. People want to comply, but oftentimes, particularly people with um, lesser econ economic means and people of color, there are a lot of barriers. And so they've been a critical partner, as well as a lot of other people, to really look at how we can reduce disparities in the jail. We're talking to Beth Hubner. She's a professor of criminology and criminal justice at the University of Missouri-St. Louis. We're also joined by Julia Fogelberg, the director of diversion and special programs for the St. Louis County Prosecutor's Office. And we're joined by Dr. Sam Page, the St. Louis County Executive. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. 
Welcome back to our conversation on St. Louis on the Air. We're talking about St. Louis County's efforts to reduce the size of its jail population. And we're joined in that conversation by three guests. One is Beth Hubner. She's a professor at the University of Missouri, St. Louis, and working on a MacArthur grant on this very issue. We're also joined by Julia Fogelberg. She's the director of diversion and special programs for the St. Louis County Prosecutor's Office. And last but not least, we're joined by Dr. Sam Page, the St. Louis County executive who's really focused on this issue. Beth, you had mentioned earlier uh, the racial disparities mm -hmm. of who's in jail versus who lives in the population as a mm -hmm. whole. What did those numbers look like before this reduction? Mm -hmm. And what do we know about those numbers today? Um, I can't give you all the exact percentages, but we do know that um, the proportion of racial and ethnic disparities um, or racial and ethnic um, individuals in the jail has reduced by about 10%. So we have reduced that pretty substantially. And I know that might not seem like a lot, but when we often do reforms, we don't think about race and ethnicity and class. And so um, it's really important to make sure that um, these reforms are responsive to everyone in the community and they're accessible to all, So sometimes, uh, and that doesn't always happen. Um, is that something that your office is also focused on, Julia? Absolutely. So something that we see, again, both locally and nationally, is um, the communities that are most affected by crime on both sides, both being charged with crimes and being victims of crime, um, demographically are poor communities and communities of color. And therefore, when you talk about people who are incarcerated awaiting trial or on probation violations, you do see a disparate proportion of the population represented there. And that's why, for, the, our, for Mr. Bell's administration, it is so important that we want to make sure when, somebody, when we're looking at, like I said, incarcerating somebody, making sure it's somebody who really needs to be there, but also when somebody gets out, you know, what do we need to have in place to make them help them be successful? And that's where the diversion programs that are we've started in the prosecutor's office to try to connect people to services, uh, whether it's behavioral health services, addiction services, because we see that there's, it's, I mean, really what we're talking about for the majority of people who are in the jail is it's a result of a public health crisis when, with that, when they're dealing with addiction um, and behavioral health issues. And so it, it, it affects an enormous portion of our population, but we don't want some, somebody's background economically to be a barrier to them getting the help they need and again to helping them be successful and so that's a yeah that's a huge priority for the administration we have a great question from Peggy and she writes what has been the impact if any um, on the individual municipalities and their policies we all know st. Louis County is more than just dr. Page's administration there are a lot of municipalities there and they all have their own police forces how does that work into the jail and these kind of changes well, I certainly can't. Uh, first of all, not all municipalities have their own police force. Some of them do. Some of them hire St. Louis County. Uh, most of them use the county jail. Some have their own jail. But I think most of the folks that are incarcerated in St. Louis County are going to end up in St. Louis County jail and have the opportunity to interact with some of our programs and get their life back on the right direction. I did want to recognize the, the question about criminal justice reform and impact on uh, minority communities and ethnic communities. I do think we should take note of the Post-Dispatch article this week that mentioned the opioid ep epidemic and its impact specifically in the African-American community. And uh, I think we have to keep that in mind. For the first time in the history of the county, we've actually invested in mental health and medication-assisted therapy uh, through uh, our health department. We've put $750,000 up 
to leverage almost a million and a half of federal funds. And we have almost $2 million in the community now providing uh, medication-assisted therapy and treatment for folks who are struggling with the opioid epidemic, which has ravaged our community. Mm -hmm. Dr. Page, you hired um, a new jail director, and I'm wondering when you were seeking out that person, how much this effort was, was in your thoughts? Well, we wanted the best. Uh, we've uh, struggled with our justice services, um, and we've struggled with, really over the years, inadequate resources and inadequate attention to justice services, but we had a national search, and we went and found someone who had great credentials and actually participates in, in reviewing and credentialing jails across the country. And uh, not only is he coming now to a, a jail that's fully accredited, but he's working on uh, accreditation of the health care that we provide in justice services. It's actually an uncommon thing nationally. So, Dr. Page, I don't want to keep coming at you, but that leads to a great question I did want to ask you. At the same time that we've seen such a big reduction in the number of people at the St. Louis County Jail, it was a tough year um, for medical issues in the jail. There were five deaths last year. And it seems somewhat surprising that with overcrowding being eased and, and fewer people there, that we'd see this surprisingly large number. What are your thoughts on that? Well, we've spent a lot of time studying that. We certainly had some deaths um, over 2018 and 2019, and even, uh, I think, even one death since I took office, maybe two. But um, we knew, know that in our justice services, we will get sick patients. We will get people who didn't have any health care before they came into justice services. We'll get folks that are withdrawing from controlled substances, and that's a challenging population. And we know statistically some of them will get sick and some will go to the hospital. It was my opinion that... Um, that rate of people getting sick, people going to the hospital, uh, people even unfortunately dying was, was higher than it should be. Mm -hmm. But it is a national epidemic. Deaths in jails are happening across the country. There's a lot of national attention to them. And in Missouri, we're particularly susceptible to that. We're not a Medicaid expansion state. We don't have uh, good health care resources for folks in our community. So many times, the first time they get health care is mm -hmm. when they're coming into the jail. I'm going to go to another question. This is from Terry, and he asks, are you partnering with police? Um, and then second question, as well as private industry in any of these efforts. Beth? Um, I can speak about the police, and then we'll have Julia speak about private industry. I think that's where they've done a great job. Absolutely, we're partnering with the police. Um, we have a weekly meeting every Thursday, so that, that is where I was this morning. And the police are an active partner, and they discuss all of the interactions that we go over each week, um, provide data, and are, are a, really key, a really key partner. Um, that is a place as um, with all of the different partners at the table where we could continue to work on reform. But when you asked about the municipalities, I think this is why this is a great intervention or a great process, is that there's some excitement around criminal justice reform. Sam Page and his um, group, as well as um, Wesley Bell and his group, are being leaders and people see in the community that they're doing what works and they're getting good results and they're saving tax mayor money. These are all things that are really important. So when we take the lead in St. Louis County, then other communities can can learn from us. So that I think that's been been really exciting. But the police are absolutely a part. But I'll have Julia talk uh, before about Before Julia speaks to the, okay. the private industry, I'm very interested sure. in that answer. But you mentioned the cost savings. Has anybody totaled what the county has been able to save by these reductions? We well I'll have the county executive. No, speak I think that. we're still putting those numbers together. Mm -hmm. When we you know, we started out with 12, but before this grant was in place, 12 or 1,300 folks in the jail, mm -hmm. and we've, um, you know, we're down to 
between eight and 900. And we know that as we get those numbers down, we'll be able to close a unit and we close a unit, we'll save some funds. But you know, we're not there yet with those calculations. I think what really saves us money is our pretrial release and getting people out mm -hmm. on probation, getting people out with some of the new technology that we have available. We have 200 folks now that are out with a smartphone app instead of an ankle bracelet. That means they can assimilate in the community, they can go to work. Um, without this, um, you know, the scarlet letter of, a, of, a, of being in the criminal justice system of having an ankle bracelet. So I think there's a lot of ways to save money. Having less people in the jail saves money. Getting people out of jail more quickly saves money. And getting them back to their job more quickly saves the community money. Julia, let me then go back to what I interrupted on. Um, and tell us a little bit about how you're partnering with, I guess, private industry. Well, so we have, we have a new partnership with law enforcement that we're really excited about. So when Mr. Bell came in, we were approached by the St. Louis County Public Health Department because there is grant money available to combat the opioid epidemic. Um, and so we were they applied with us uh, for, it's called the LEAD grant, and that stands for Law Enforcement Assisted Diversion. So we applied for that grant. We were one of the few communities that was awarded that grant, and it's um, a little over a million dollars that's going to be distributed over the next three years. We haven't gotten any of the money yet, but it's coming soon. And it, the purpose of that grant is to take these types of efforts one step further. So one issue that law enforcement has currently is they come into contact with someone in the community who's in the middle of uh, struggling with an addiction and they don't know where to take them other than the jail because that is the training that we receive and that's the system that has been built. So what the focus of this grant is is to take these efforts one step further out into the community so that when law enforcement comes into contact with someone who is really in the midst, like we said, of a public health crisis, possessing drugs but not harming anybody else, what alternatives do we have? Where can we take them? How can we get them connected with services to address the addiction rather than bringing them to the jail in the first place? So that's something that we're excited, but as we've seen with Beth, it can take a while to, for the plans to actually roll out. So something that Mr. Bell did before he came into office was to collaborate and get local organizations who are already providing these types of services, whether it's job readiness programs, um, help with soft skills like financial planning and everything from behavioral health services to substance use treatment services. Um, so he brought a lot of those players to the table to say, you know, we want to be able to connect individuals who need help with these services. You guys are doing the same thing in the community. Let's all sit down. And we, so we have a meeting once a month where we sit down with our diversion advisory committee and all of these players and talk about who can do what and what our greatest needs are. So it's something that we're really proud of in our administration, but through all of these efforts is just that you have all of these groups who want to be achieving the same goals, talking to each other and figuring out the best ways to actually have the greatest impact on the community. We're talking about efforts to reduce St. Louis County's uh, jail population. That's with Julia Fogelberger. Fogelberg, she's the Director of Diversion for the St. Louis County Prosecutor's Office, Dr. Sam Page, the St. Louis County Executive, and Beth Hubner, a Professor of Criminology at the University of Missouri-St. Louis. We have a question um, from a listener who didn't leave their name. They say, how do you or how can the county and St. Louis City cooperate in the effort to reduce the population in jail? I know there's been a lot of talk about should St. Louis City close the workhouse? Mm -hmm. What can it do along these fronts? Are you in communication at this point? 
Absolutely. Um, MacArthur gave a smaller grant to the city, but as I mentioned before, I think we are, I think the pioneer in Missouri, we are trying these new efforts. Um, and so we are in regular contact and we hope that they will see what we have done and see the successes and take those on as well. But I, absolutely, we hope that this not only has a regional impact, but a national impact as well and that people can learn from St. Louis County. We had another, oh, Julia. I would just say too far, uh, we were in contact with the city when we were applying for our lead grant and it was, you know, it could have been a situation where because both jurisdictions were applying for the same grant, rather than having an adversarial position, we wrote letters of support for each other saying we both deserved to get the grant funding because we know that crime doesn't stop at the borders of St. Louis mm -hmm. County and we want the region to be safer as a whole. We had another great question from another person who did not leave their name, and they ask, what is being done to increase the public defender's office funding to help those in jail in need of counsel? This is obviously a huge issue statewide, and I know it's not something that any of you can fix um, overnight, but are there efforts underway that relate to this effort? Absolutely, that's also a part of our, the public defenders have been an integral part of our team as well, and we, um, they do not have a lot of funding, so if um, people who are listening want to write to their um, people and tell them that they need more funding, that would be great. But we are providing some of the grant funding for what we call a first appearance pilot. So this is actually an experiment, and we have provided extra funds for an attorney on a couple of days a week in one courtroom to be there for anyone who needs representation. I think that when you learn about criminal justice in school, you assume that every time you go in front of a judge that you have an attorney. That is not the case, um, particularly that first time you see the judge. And so the public defender is there for anyone who needs it um, to provide services during that first hearing, and then they can link them up to the public defender's office or if they choose to get a private attorney as well. We just think that from the minute you hit that courtroom um, that you need representation. So the, the public defender's office does a lot with very little, um, and they've been a key partner as well. So we've talked a bit about the fact that um, these reductions have held steady. You're not going back up past that 900 person mm -hmm. level, but it sounded like from Dr. Page, you'd like to see this level drop even further so you could maybe close one unit of the jail. Am I putting, putting words in your mouth or is that an accurate summary of your goals here? Well, I think we'll continue to work on getting folks out of, out of the Justice Services Center um, who don't need to be there and we'll get that number as low as we go. How low, low can, can that number go? Well, That's think, my question. I don't for... think we know the answer to that yet. Maybe the folks that study this can give me a better prediction, but I think we need to do it methodically and, and thoughtfully and safely. And our goals are, are matching people up with treatment resources and programming, and uh, we'll just see where we go. Beth, do you have a number in your head of, boy, I'd really like to get it down to this. I have to be honest, this is lower than I ever thought we could be. Um, this has just been a joy to work on. Um, I don't. Um, we could do some fancy statistical estimations, I'm sure. But I think the key is, and sustainability is harder than to get it down. So I'm very happy that we've sustained the changes for a very long time. And so I think the key is for the whole team, um, and I know this will continue after I'm, I'm done with the grant in, in about a year and a half, is to continue to look at those numbers, to continue to challenge, just like Dr. Page, who's in this jail, who needs to be here, who doesn't. And um, I, so I think it will evolve over time, but I do think it will go down again. Julia, what do you see as the biggest challenge going forward with this effort? I think the biggest effort or the biggest challenge is 
you know, it's we need more people to help identify what is needed in this population that's in the jail. And so obviously it's not just about, it's not as simple as saying resources and money, but we need more people on the ground to do these evaluations with someone in the jail. Our office is in the process of hiring a social worker, which is highly unusual for a prosecutor's office, but it's something where we wanna be able to have somebody who can look at someone who's facing charges for the first time, or maybe they have several possession cases, what, you know, what worked in the past, what didn't work, and how can we address these issues going forward? And so until we have more boots on the ground of people like Beth or other, you know, really coordinating to get all of these people to work together, that's, that's the hardest part of it. So if you're in the community and you think that you have services that you can offer or volunteer, we'd be happy to talk about bringing you in. I'll even make a little plug. <laughs> Dr. Page, I'm curious about your thoughts on that. Do you think there will be more money for increased personnel? Well, I, I think that's a little bit of a, a leading question because you know this grant <laughs> runs out and we'll be reapplying for it. And I hope the, the decision makers are listening and they'll be happy with our progress and they'll let us keep going. So our last question today comes from Andy. And he writes, how are the results of this grant work shared so that the models that are successful reach the communities that did not receive the grants? And, and he mentioned, I think Beth said earlier, that there were 200 applications and only 20 awards. Mm -hmm. So what do you do for the people who didn't get this money? Great question, um, and that's something that we will continue to do. I think now that we've made this progress, one of our goals um, in working with Sam's team is to, is to get information out there. But we are per, part of a collaborative um, group in terms of um, jails across the United States that are doing this work, so we share the work there. We're actually having the National Summit for the Safety and Justice Challenge in St. Louis in May, so we'll be able to show off our work there. Um, we are going to be doing some podcasts and um, shows like this. So um, I know I am and the team are willing to share this with anyone and we get calls, I would say probably weekly about our efforts and people want to hear what, what we are doing. From other jurisdictions you get these calls? Absolutely. People want to make the change. It's just that sometimes it's hard to know where to start. So we have um, provided some of those models. I'd say to your earlier question about what the biggest challenge is that type of awareness and really spreading the word about what is working is mm -hmm. a challenge in and of itself. Mm -hmm. So anything that we can do to kind of bring more people into the fold and understand why this work is important, that's enormously helpful. Well, Julia Fogelberg, Director of Diversion and Special Programs for the St. Louis County Prosecutor's Office, thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you. And Beth Hubner, Professor of Criminology and Criminal Justice at the University of Missouri-St. Louis, thank you for being here. Thank you. And Dr. Sam Page, thank you so much for, for taking the time out to be here. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.